We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we're doing our first mailbag podcast in a while. And we're this one's going to have a theme, um, right? We've been riding high, feeling good about this team. But as it is during seasons where we're kind of right on the precipice of contending, there's always those worries about, you know, what are the weak spots on the team? And so that's going to be the theme of today's pod. And to help us with that, joining us is wonderful producer Jeannie. Jeannie, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing? Great. Good to have you on. All right. Hi, Jeannie. Hello. Hello, everyone. Okay. Ready to get into the first mailbag of 2023. <laughs> the first question is from Streamton. How worried are you about our center depth this season, especially considering the fact that AD will most likely miss 20-plus games? How much of a weakness will our interior defense be in those games? I feel like I'm more concerned about this than most. Mike, what do you think? Well, stream ton, I share your concern. I have been expressing that, uh, I think, throughout the summer, and... It's tr- it's tricky. You look at the Lakers defense last season and they were after the All-Star break, they ended up finishing fourth, whereas really it felt like they were first the whole time. And then like Chicago and Boston crept up there uh, by a, a, just a, a percentage point And New Orleans actually snuck in as well um, as they started playing harder down the stretch. It's it's one of those things, though, that I don't know that the Lakers really had a great opportunity to address this. In the offseason, and instead they got the best players that they could have uh, to just fill out the roster. But come the trade deadline, and especially if things do become more of a concern like this, like the concern that you and I share, um, and I, we can hear from Pete Darius as well, then that's the type of, of spot that I think you can make a move in uh, because there there should be at least some players on various rosters around the league that could help address that. But to do that, you have to give something good up. And, and that's another concern where if the Lakers are playing really well on offense, everything fits nicely, and we're seeing this defense uh, that doesn't strengthen that much, whether AD misses games or because Christian Wood um, or Jackson Hayes or some combination of LeBron and Rui sizing up doesn't do the trick, um, then what do you do? So it, it, to me, is the number one concern that I would have just aside from like general injuries. 
yeah, that's my biggest concern too. All of the 58 to 62 win dreams that, uh, you know, we might have D those fall off a cliff very quickly. If Anthony Davis goes out a couple of bits of optimism on that front, I think both of our backup fives can at least compete with their length in that they can compete in the vertical plane. That's something that when it was like Thomas Bryant or the games where like Rui Hachimura was getting minutes at the five or, or LeBron, right? Remember that game against Houston late in the season? We were playing great, but it was a back-to-back and AD set the, sat the second half of a back-to-back. And all of a sudden we go from like playing great to like, oh crap, three minutes into the game, like we're not going to beat this Houston team because AD's not playing in it. Austin Reeves playing like power forward. Yeah, exactly. And a big part of that, though, is at that five spot, so much of that uh, position defensively is asked to jump from a standing position. And AD was the one guy who could really do that. This year, I think both Wood and Jackson Hayes offer some value on that front at the very least. And like Mike said, this is something that, as we saw last year, the roster does not have to be set right now. Now, what do you have to give up and all of that? It's really going to depend on how good the player is that's available. But the job is certainly not finished. So I agree with everything that you guys have been saying. I just also fall back to the idea that there's never going to be a perfect team and that the more and more you skew towards trying to fill every hole, there's always the idea of unintended consequences of what you do to the rest of your roster. It's a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah, it is. And I think that you can find better balance within things. So like I go back to the 2019-20 team. That team had a lot of good big man depth in terms of what they could do defensively, right? With Dwight as your backup. But then one of the concerns that we had throughout the season was, did this team have enough spacing? Were they going to make enough shots? Like, what's it going to be like in terms of the reliability of LeBron James and Anthony Davis as jump shooters? Because they don't necessarily have the driving lanes and there's always going to be a big man sort of hovering there because of Dwight and JaVale's guys hogging up the paint because they were dunker spot players. I also think that you sort of go into the season with one idea of what your roster is going to be. And the Lakers have that now, right? They've got a floor spacing big man in wood. They've got a, a sort of rim running lob threat big man in Hayes. I don't think both those guys can play without pushing out one of the other forwards from the rotation. And so it's just like, if Jackson Hayes is playing, maybe that means Torian Prince isn't, or Vando's minutes get cut. And it's like, there, there's only so many minutes out there. And so I am concerned, but I also think that there's an identity that the Lakers team is going to have. I think Darwin's going to need to paper over some of the defensive flaws from their big guys with um, with scheme adjustments. And the guards are going to have to help the bigs out a little bit more by staying in front and shutting down dribble penetration. There's always a bit of a balance that needs to be struck. So I share the concerns, but I'm also not like this is the death knell of the team. The Lakers are going to have plenty of opportunities to beat opponents using other things than interior defense from their reserve big men. All right, that leads us into our next question that kind of dovetails on your answer, Darius. This is from Quest for 18. Concerned about our point of attack defense with our three guards, Austin, D'Lo, and Gabe, all being average to below average defenders. How do you see that playing against elite guards like Booker, Steph, Murray, Shea, etc. in the West? Darius? Yeah, so... When you start naming off the best guards in the league and wondering how you're going to defend them, I think that's an every team problem. It's not just a Lakers problem. Um, I do think that they could be stuck a little bit if their only point of attack defenders are Austin and D'Lo 
in the starting lineup, which is one of the reasons why I've been advocating that Jared Vanderbilt start. Um, Vando was the guy who defended Booker as a primary option. He was the guy who defended Shea. He defended Luka. Um, he's maybe not the best solution, Mike, for Steph Curry, but he did defend John Morant fairly effectively. And, 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 and so there is a plethora of point of attack guards, attack guards that I think Vando is an adequate to good to really great solution for. And um, I think the Lakers are going to have to lean on him some. I also think that at some point you just have to defend the guy across from you. And that's probably going to depend on Austin. And I would classify Gabe as a little bit more than like an average defender. Like I'm not saying that he's a plus, plus, plus defender, but he's going to compete on that end. He's got decent size for a smaller guard. He's strong and yeah. he's a physical player. So I expect him to compete on that end. And, and he comes from that sort of culture. So I'm hopeful, I would say, and not as concerned about this spot. But what about you guys? This is something that it's like Vincent, guys don't go through Vincent the same way that they can go through Austin or D'Lo physically. Um, I do think foot speed is something that is on my mind uh, in terms of what we've lost going from Dennis to, to Vincent. Uh, I think Dennis overall is a slightly better defender. Vincent's a dog too. So like, I, I really like him and I think you're spot on with your evaluation there, D. But in terms of foot speed, that's one area where I'm kind of like, ah, will we be able to keep up in that respect? But that said, Mike, I think one guy that we haven't thrown into the point of attack defender conversation isn't a starter necessarily, but I think will be very helpful in this. That's Max Christie. I think he's being kind of raised defensively as that kind of guy. And as we see more and more around the league, uh, McDaniels in Minnesota uh, comes to mind. Vando is this type of guy. Bigger, long type of guys are starting to guard whomever has the ball on the other team a lot more. And I think Max is being kind of groomed for that. So I would like to throw his hat into the ring on this topic as well. Certainly a good name to mention. I was going to mention Cam Reddish as well, where I think Reddish is a little bit better defensively than you might think, and maybe not quite as good offensively as you might think, just based on uh, pedigree and, and the kind of guy that he was thought of to be coming into the league. But Schroeder is the place to start just in terms of that, you know, pick up for the full court and constant intensity and not afraid of anybody and just getting in your face. And I do think that Vincent can approximate some of that. But as Pete said, without the same level of the foot speed. So the way that defense works on the perimeter is always, though, only as good as what the defense is on the interior. So this yep. is in some ways related to the first question. And it, it goes right back to how important Anthony Davis is and right back to the reason why he should be, you know, defensive player of the year favorite going in. And if he's not, that basically means that he hasn't been on the floor enough. And it means the Lakers are probably in trouble. Um, but like Darius mentioned this earlier, if any team's best player isn't on the floor, then they're going to be in trouble. For those games, that's how the NBA works. And when you go into a season planning, you can't really plan uh, for a player to be missing X amount of games uh, unless you are taking so many resources away from other spots that you need. And that is that is the NBA. Um, so this is a this is a concern. But the good thing about those three guards mentioned in the question um, from his and her Lakers, Austin D'Lo Gabe, is that they all have a lot to offer offensively as well. Uh, and they're not. You know, I think D'Lo did get picked on some, but he has he he can have a little bit of value with his size and, and with some of his rebounding um, defensively where it's just not a, a complete zero on that end by any means. So uh, it's it's a smaller concern, but, you know, I don't see it as big of a concern as the first one. I, I think you're spot on with that. And I think 
that Anthony Davis, when he is on the floor, that is a big part of the how you get by without Evando or Max on the floor. Um, we will talk more about the schematic stuff that goes into that uh, as, as the season goes on. And we have some tape to show it. But let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll answer more of your questions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's pick it up again. The next question is from We Believe 2021. Given the big man in the West is Jokic, what have the Lakers done this offseason to better prepare for him this year? Pete? You guys remember uh, Jim McElveen and that whole crew? I always think back to Shaq in those years of the team signing guys to big contracts. Jerome James. Jerome, wow. It was always Seattle, wasn't it? Um, Yeah, signing dudes to big contracts on the premise that like they're 7 280 and can theoretically bang with Shaq or at least like kind of do it on some level. And a lot of times you end up creating those problems, those whack-a-mole problems that Darius was talking about earlier, where it's like, yeah, he is a large human being, but he's not very good at basketball. And that matters in ways more than just banging with Shaq. I think that there's some of that with Jokic and like Mike's point of, of like, you know, there is not a guy, there was not a guy that big physical type of presence that that 2020 Dwight type on the market. Um, that said, you can also like there's more than one way to go about it, D, right? Like, and so spreading Denver out, I think, is something and spreading Jokic out. I think he has a reputation defensively, like, oh, you can just spam pick and rolls at him. And that's actually not true. He's become a pretty good ball screen defender if he can defend the rim. He's got great hands. He's always in the right position. The offensive mind that he has in terms of as a passer, he can think that way when he's on defense too. So he's good at anticipating what the what the offense is going to do, where the ball's going to go. And he's made himself into a solid 
I don't want to oversell the uh, pick and roll defender that he is, but he's solid on that end. Where I think he's more vulnerable, D, is out on the perimeter, right? And spreading guys out. And so in that way, like guys like Christian Wood, the overall improved jump shooting of the team, it's going to lead to certain rotations where you can't just like, oh, we're going to cheat off of Dennis or going to cheat off of Vando, at least not as much without uh, with the other guys that we have. There's more than one way to go about it. That said, that's part of the reason why the, you know, hey, if there is a really good big guy on the market, that's somebody that we will hopefully be interested in. There's very few big guys that you can say like, hey, go go defend the best offensive center of the last, I don't know, how many years? And say like, hey, that's that's your job. Go make it so that he's not going to be a dominant player. That's just not how the game works. I think that the way you address it is what Pete was talking about is you try to find better solutions offensively in order to compromise Jokic and Denver's defense when he's on the floor. Mike, I remember going into last offseason um, or going into last season, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think one of your concerns around Denver was could they win a championship with Jokic as their defensive anchor? And I think that that was proven true when he was allowed to hover around the paint and just be a big body. He's a great defensive rebounder. He's got great instincts and hands. He can do things around the basket that I think probably exceeded what our expectations were for him at that level. But where I think he's still going to have issues is playing on what Zach Lowe likes to refer to as the yo-yo, which is like, can you show high, then recover to the paint to potentially have to show high or recover again to a player that's on the perimeter? And the Lakers are, I think, going to try to do that some with Christian Wood and with improvements from their pull-up jump shooting from their primary ball handlers. It's one thing to be able to go under screens when it's LeBron James who is handling into the pick and roll or Dennis Schroeder. It's another thing if you're going under or need to play a little bit higher if it's Gabe Vincent or D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves. And then with a pick and pop big in Wood, then it starts to get even trickier. And I'm interested to see if the Lakers can compromise Denver in other ways rather than just saying, here's a solution for the best player in the league right now. Like those solutions rarely exist. Jokic has gotten beaten in series by two different teams in the last couple of years. And, and of course, we start with that 1920 Lakers team and they just bludgeoned him uh, with with so much size between Dwight and a little bit of JaVale, JaVale McGee, certainly Anthony Davis and then LeBron James. And he had very little help on that team. We remember it was not Aaron Gordon, uh, who was mm-hmm. a, a huge, big, physical, athletic, strong mm-hmm. four. Um, it was, for the most part, Jeremy Grant. And then like Paul Millsap was still mm-hmm. playing, but he was on the he was on the tail end. He was still starting uh, in those games. And then they they threw a little bit of Mason Plumlee in. But, you know, these were not guys that had the all around game of Aaron Gordon. So Jokic himself got stronger. Uh, Aaron Gordon came in and then the Lakers got a little bit weaker. Um, so they weren't able to, to bludgeon and beat him in that way. And plus, he just was competing at a much different level. I think that series taught Jokic what playoff basketball has to really be like. And he came back different. The other team that beat him was Golden State, and they beat him how you guys just described, where they spread him out, just spammed pick and rolls, got him out in the perimeter, and had you know the best shooter in NBA history um, as a threat out in the perimeter, which is not something that the Lakers can replicate for next year. But yeah, I think you can you sort of take some from both of those pots um, when you're going at Denver. My main question, though, like this is one of those things where Pete mentioned Shaq and all the teams trying to um, trying to figure out an answer. 
since I don't think there is a direct answer, I think the way that the Lakers can set themselves up is to be the best team that they can be. Um, right. And in sort of in and make Denver next year adjust to the way that they're playing um, as opposed to just fighting to just get into the play in um, so that they can limp into a, a, a I shouldn't say limp into because they certainly played very well in the first two rounds. But physically, there was an element of that uh, mm-hmm. where they had to give so much just to get to that point that it became increasingly difficult. And I think what Denver's biggest challenge this year is not going to necessarily be how a team plays um, against them, but just the the sheer mental weight uh, and physical toll that it takes to try and defend a crown. Uh, We have not had a repeat champion since the Warriors. In fact, I I think I mentioned this a couple of pods ago, but no team has even gone back to the finals uh, in the last five years. So that to me is, is what's going to be weighing on them and and Jokic taking everybody's shot. And is he going to have that kind of motivation to really carry his team through a team that is weaker than last year? So that all of those factors to me are more important than than sort of how the Lakers can specifically target Jokic. Yeah. And just one more thing on Denver. I think it's more important to make sure that Murray and KCP and Michael Porter Jr. don't go off the way that they did against us. And that's something that I actually have a legit worry about with this team. And that's something that I, I, I talked about, like with our the scheme that we run, it's very like we're fine with you shooting jump shots. And the vast majority of the time, that's OK. But that's an elite jump shooting trio that if you can't press up on them, you're going to give up clean looks that they're like, thank you very much. This is this is what I do for a living on offense. And so I think that, yeah. Or when they were pressed up, Pete, then Bruce Brown, who was not supposed to be able to hit at that range, hit everything too. Like it it was just everybody was hitting. They were, they were. Uh, But I would like to be able to exert more perimeter pressure and guys like Max and Vando D are are, like, there's more than one way to to attack Denver. And Jokic certainly is not the, the weak point there. And I would just say, say too, that the Lakers project to have more collective positional size than they did last season. And the idea of, remember, it was Lonnie coming off a great close to the Warriors series. And it's just like, OK, well, now we're going to play Lonnie Walker a bunch of minutes. And D'Angelo started to get neutralized a little bit more. And so now it's he's replaced by Dennis Schroeder. And it's like and Max Christie didn't play at all during that mm-hmm. series. And there is no Torian Prince as like another wing who is a side. Oh, you've actually got adequate size to maybe defend some of these guys. It, it was just like small guy after small guy mm-hmm. as the potential solution. And this roster, I think, is built a little bit differently than that. Okay, great. The next question is from Table. Hi, Table. If LeBron, AD, Bando, Rui, and Vincent combined to shoot 32% from three, can the Lakers still be a top four seed? Mike? Is this targeted at me uh, with three <laughs> yes. point <laughs> yes. percentages? Hmm. Premeditated. Yeah, I'm like, Cosmo Dutch Dean, did, did you do some actual math? Like, are there tables out here? Are there spreadsheets out in the Microsoft Excel to be like, what is the threshold at which Trudell would say shooting is valuable? Um, <laughs> I've wondered this for years. So thank you. <laughs> 30, 32% might be it. That, that, might be, that might be a little low. <laughs> It might it might have to come up a little bit. Um, I'm, let me just I'm just reviewing the names again because we're exempting certain guys. Like obviously, you know, Austin is not in there, and and D'Lo is not in there. So like, if they shoot 58, percent you know, then maybe sure. that delta is enough. But no, I think that uh, to just repeat the point, and, and I'll, I'll tr- this will probably annoy Cosmo Dutch Dean uh, to an extent that the threshold of th- of three point makes has to be um, at least closer to 35. Like then it doesn't have to be 40, but if it's down at 30, then you're just going to lose games like as as a collective. So I I, I think the good news here um, is that not all of those guys are going to struggle 
Um, you're going to ha- you might have a couple. Uh, you might have a couple guys that are just not hitting at all. LeBron, to me, would be the most important because he is probably going to take the most. Now, Vincent will take a lot of threes. He certainly does when he's in there, but he's not going to play as many minutes as LeBron. And if LeBron like why was LeBron missing threes last year? At some point, we we think about the legs and we think about the age and all that. But he he's so strong. If you just watch him in practice and, and Pete, you've probably popped, you know, popped your eyes over the ledge lately. It's it's not like he's he's doing a ton to get that ball to the rim. I always say this about centers that have never shot threes before. And uh, like Brooke Lopez was one where he never shot any threes. And then all of a sudden uh, he mm-hmm. just basically flicks his wrist. And it, it looks like what might be a, a layup for somebody around our size. Uh, and yeah. I think that like Le- with LeBron having that base, it has to go up some from last year. And that alone to me should carry the Lakers through some because he is going to settle for threes this year. He has to uh, in year 21. And, you know, if, if he's not hitting any threes at all, just take the other guys out of there, then I think it's going to be tougher for the Lakers to be up there towards the top. I'm going to say that across the board with those four players, that number is too low. And that if those four players specifically shoot that poorly, the Lakers are probably not going to be a top four seed. And they're not going to make up for it because Austin and D'Lo and Max Christie or whoever else you want to throw in shoot better. Like LeBron... Mike made a lot of my points for me around LeBron. I would argue, though, too, that Rui's kind of important in this range because mm-hmm. Rui's going to get open jumpers. Yeah. He's the guy. He's the guy of that group where his volume is likely going to be fairly like where it was last season. But if he's in the thirty percent range, it's just like, nah, man. Like these shots are open. For you, like a little bit more of these need to go in. And so I would say that Rui's going to need to be around league average. I would like to see an uptick from from Anthony Davis as well. Vincent, I think, is going to have gravity. Like he's just one of those players where he's going to shoot enough of them where teams are going to close out to him and they're going to treat him a certain way. I'd like them to go in at a higher rate than this. But I also think like he's sort of got stones and he's going to make some important ones. Where are you at though, Pete? Because I think it's really about LeBron and Rui because they're the quote unquote power forwards. And Mm -hmm. you need those guys in this offense to be like, hey, we can knock these down. Otherwise, those driving lanes aren't going to be there. Yeah, LeBron is far and away the most important in terms of getting his jumper back. And as players get older, that's not always like Mike's point is true about those bigger guys just kind of flicking their wrist and being being able to get the ball there. But also as guys get older, like the legs are still part of the jump shot in ways that if they don't feel like they have that balance underneath them, like I was watching some of LeBron's threes and I was struck, you know, that was his fifth season with us by how many of them were way off. Right. And he was coming off of a foot injury, right? There's plenty of reasons to be optimistic about it, but there's also the possibility that he's gotten old, right? And that that, that is going to manifest itself in a variety of different ways, Mike, you know? Well, let's let's just stay on this for a second, though, because uh, there the qualifier here is that I'm expecting LeBron to at least do a little bit less overall than mm-hmm. what he was doing last year, because what was the who was the guy I'm trying to think of uh, oh so like Bob McAdoo right a, a great shooter yep. was an assistant coach on many teams and there are all these stories about how a, a new player would go to the heat uh, and they would come into the gym and he would just shoot the 
crap out of the ball. Um, and like at whatever age that he was when he was 55 and like, that's, that's the element of it where what I meant, if you just sure. go and watch LeBron shooting in a gym, but if he's also, if he's running 15 screen rolls right. and he's playing defense the way that Darius wants him to play defense this year, um, and he's getting back in transition, uh, and doing all of these things, then he's not going to shoot the ball as well. I'm like, so it, there, I have to acknowledge that in my own point, if, if I'm expecting him to shoot better, yes, then he has to do a little bit less, but he's never shown us that he's going to do a little bit less in those other mm-hmm. areas. So that, so thus, uh, that thus part of the concern. Yeah. I think it's a totally fair, fair worry. Here's LeBron's last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons of three point shooting. 36.3, So, which was this past season. So 32% is by far his worst mm-hmm. shooting season over the last seven years. I'm not saying it's like, oh, maybe this is it for him. And maybe it is. But it's an outlier season it for is. him in terms yes. of being poor. And I expect some positive regression here. Whether he's going to be the 36% shooter he was two, like two seasons ago, I think that's just as doubtful as him being the 32% shooter that he was this past season. But 34, 35, like 34.5%, that's a little bit of a, of a sweet spot. And that's 10, 15 more makes maybe over the course of a full season. And if those are in the right games, that's five more wins based off of how the Lakers played last year. So so I'm just saying it's just like I expect LeBron to be better from the outside this season, even if he is playing strong defense, Mike. Quit mm-hmm. throwing shade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Two more small points on, on this one. Gabe Vincent, one of the things that stood out to me about the threes that he got were that they were really hard, a lot of them, and he shouldn't take as many hard shots on this roster as he did with Miami. So hopefully his uh, shooting percentage goes up as a function of that. But he's also not a like knockdown guy. I hope we're not expecting him to be that. And then in terms of like, can they still be a top four seed? I actually think they still can, but that's more based on like what the rest of the league was last year. We were two wins from being a top four seed last year and we stunk for like two thirds of the season. So like it's it's more like that Peloton I talk about of all these teams around the same grouping of, of wins, right? Where like 45 wins gets you the four seed. I still think it's possible. Is it possible for us to win a championship with guys shooting like that? No, I don't think so. And I think I totally agree with you guys that LeBron is the most important guy within that. Let's take our last break and we come back. We'll wrap it up. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, you guys, the last question for today is from Tom. Do the Lakers have to win a championship this season for the year to be a success in your eyes? Darius? Oh, man. Do I have to give a Giannis answer here about, like, these are just steps to success? That there are no failures? Um, I would say it is a failure for the Lakers if they don't win a championship. It's LeBron's 21st season. When the Lakers got LeBron in free agency with no other star coming, it was this idea of, well, 
he was already looked at as like, oh, well, these are like the final steps of like LeBron's career. He's going to retire into the sunset mm-hmm. as this Hollywood guy and this, this, that, and the other. You remember the takes. Oh, yeah. And and then he got hurt his first year. And it was just like, oh, oh well, it's already starting. Look, it's a grown injury. This isn't some like ankle turn or something like it was already there was that stuff that was in the ether. And then the next year they win the championship and they got Anthony Davis. And from that point, it felt like every year they would be in it. And now we're five years in to this and the end is close. Mm -hmm. It just is. Last season, he talked about it at that last press conference that that he did about like how much longer would he do this? And you know what I've always said that's like once you put retirement talk like into the ether and it's sort of out there, there's no putting Mm -hmm. that toothpaste back in the tube. He's discussed it now openly that and the realities of the level that his game is at should not obscure the idea that he can't keep doing this forever. And one more year of this, it's just like next season would be his 22nd season after this. It's just like that's unreal. And expecting him to be at the level that you would want him to be at for the construction of this roster where he's paid like he's one of the top handful of players or dozen players in the league. It's that's a tough ask. And so every year that they don't win or meet their ultimate goal, it is a failure. Like there are levels of failure, though. There's like first round defeat. And then there's like, oh, we got to the finals. It's like and we couldn't cash it all in. But like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't mean to judge them harshly. It's just like there's going to be disappointment if if they don't win at all. But I'm just like, look, the reality's here. He's LeBron James. He's 39 about to be. I'm just surprised that Darius didn't go to a classic yes and no uh, for this specific answer. I thought that's where things were heading. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to say yes and no. Anytime that the Lakers have a roster that at least could win a title, then I think it's the Lakers. Of course, it's a disappointment. That's what they play for. Um, Championship number 18 is out there to be won before Boston, certainly, um, as I, I think Pete can remind you of. So it's that part is always going to be true. And I think that it's even if sometimes to me it's like the North Star and it's there and that's always what you should be striving for. But this is where Darius brought Giannis in. I also don't I think that it's a little bit harsh to then say that it's a failure if you don't win when there are at least what seven maybe other teams that we think could win the title that are good enough to that the Lakers are not the favorite heading into this either either from us or from uh, the well, I shouldn't speak for you guys. For me, I don't think they're the the favorite. I don't think they're the number. The, and neither does Las Vegas. So it's mm-hmm. is it then a disappointment to is it a failure um, to not win the title when you you don't for sure have the best team, um, at least going into training camp? That to me is where things complicate a little bit. And I think the LeBron point is a great one. But the other part of the LeBron point is that he is in year 21. Nobody's ever done it to that degree. And the expectation that he's going to be able to to get his body through because they need him to be that level of LeBron. Um, I think that is also a bit heavy Mm -hmm. uh, from an expectation standpoint. And Mm -hmm. all of this is softened a little bit by the fact that LeBron and AD did win a title. Uh, had they not won in 1920 um, and LeBron was you know, trying to carve his way into Lakers history without a title, I think that would be very difficult, uh, <laughs> exceedingly so. And I at least for for his sake there, um, you know, I'm glad that they were able to do that. So, yes, that's a classic yes and no, Pete. Uh, but it's uh, I think the context of all of these things going on is needed. 
it, it feels like this is our last best shot of the LeBron AD era. Um, and look, I'm never going to put a, a cap on LeBron of what he's capable of. He certainly doesn't. And that's why he's been doing these unprecedented things. So is it possible that he's still an an absolute star in year 22 and we're title contenders next year or the year after that? And with LeBron and AD, of course, but I think that this is the best shot that we're going to get. And to me, you have to separate like the idea of failure versus disappointment. Like if a in baseball, a 300 hitter goes to the plate, he's going to fail seven times out of 10. Right. But he's not a disappointment overall. And so that's kind of how I see this team in that whenever you hear Jeannie or Rob talk, one of the first things they, they lead with is like 18 and winning the winning titles is like is what everything is calibrated toward. And so if we don't reach that, that is a failure. Now, I think a, te- a season can be a success without yeah. winning a title, of which I think last year it was a success, right? In that it's, do you get yourself closer to one? And sometimes you're too far away to get all the way there, but you can take, I think we took a big step to get back into the position that we're in, D. And so the fact that we're Right here, like, yeah, we've we got to go for it between the circumstances and where the league's at. The defending champs lost a couple of key guys, even though we might not be the money line favorite, Mike. There isn't another team that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the class of the league right now, aside from the championship like Denver won and they deserve that level of respect. But I don't think that there's like huge differences in tiers and things like that. So, so D, we got to go for it, man. And th- that to me is it, it is a failure if, if we don't win the title. Yeah, I think both of you are articulating things that I wish I would have said uh, so I could have sounded smarter before both of you just ruined me a little bit there. A point I want to tack on to what you were saying, Pete, is that the 2018 that lost to the Celtics, that was like a gut punch to lose to Boston and to lose the championship. But I loved that team. And that year started with Kobe, yeah, def- asking for a trade, and that was an awful start. And they took huge strides, and it was a slingshot to the next year. That was one of my favorite seasons, and it's weird to say that that was one of, oh, like, losing to Boston the in the yeah, finals. Right. <laughs> it's just like, come on, man, like, freaking puncture my aorta already. But the the ability to say, like, we're back, like, in competing, and then the next year to get Mike Trudell? On yeah. the beat, it's just like, oh my goodness. Big free agent acquisition, yes. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That's nice. Yeah, that Put was over the, the top. Yeah. That's exactly right. I will say, too, that Mike's point is dead on around the expectations. And this is why I try not to frame a season through like what we expect to happen or this is what I expect. Like, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that. That And I believe things can happen. So I believe this team can win a championship. I believe that they can compete for a championship. I'm hopeful that that they will. But I don't expect anything of like LeBron James in year 21. And like he's got like that's a different framework. And if you go into a season, Mike, with like, oh, well, I expect us to do this or we're going to win. It's just like odds are you're going to be disappointed. And that failure is going to sting a little bit more so. I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic for a competitive Lakers season and and that they're going to do well. And that's, to me, the the joyous part of being a fan right now of the Lakers is that the trajectory of the team is where I want it to be. And and that's what I'm sort of writing Mm -hmm. in terms of going into the season. I think to to close out a thought on this topic, the 
what I've learned about the Lakers just from coming here and things that you guys knew long ago uh, when you were kids is that like, like you, the Lakers need to be in a position to pursue a championship. And that's what it's about. Like that pursuit of excellence, that pursuit of greatness, the, the way that the stadium bounces uh, when the players walk in and like that sense of pride uh, for the purple and gold, like that has a chance to be there this year. The roster heading into the previous two seasons, I don't think that it did. Uh, and and that's a huge difference. So whether or not they ultimately do it, we can talk about the semantics of failure in, in the context of sports. And, and to again, mention the Giannis thing, but they at least have set themselves up to for the opportunity to make a run. Uh, and, and that's what you want to do in sports, especially for the Lakers. Absolutely. I'm super grateful that the team's in the position that it is and that we get a chance to watch LeBron, you know, push the limits of what's possible in a player. Um, it's it's very cool. And I love that um, Darius brought up the idea of expectations, right? I do not expect. I am also hopeful. Um, and But we've also seen a lot of these, right? This team can totally do it. And I think it's also important to not limit yourself in what you are capable of with the, oh, probably not. If this happened a hundred times, how many times would it work out for us? Like, no, there there are plenty of things that you can do to make your uh, your lot in life better and, and your chances better. So, uh, all right, this has been fun. We've got more questions to answer. I'm not sure if that's going to be Wednesday's pod or the following Monday. We got Rob and Darvin being interviewed on Thursday, so that'll be Friday's pod. We'll get it all sorted out, but we'll be back on Wednesday either way. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is Lottie. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's Let's the move. Go. Two, Let's go. one, Missing. it. Unbelievable. Right. 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.